This is exactly right. I'm Kate Winkler Dawson, a journalist, author, and podcast host. And I'm Paul Holes, a retired investigator with experience solving some of America's most notorious cold cases. Together, we host Buried Bones, a historical true crime podcast on the Exactly Right Network. Each week, we examine a different case from history and use our years of experience and 21st century forensics to bring new insights into these very old tragedies. Like the time the Sausage King of Chicago's wife went missing in 1897. Don't miss new episodes every Wednesday. Follow Buried Bones wherever you get your podcasts. Just do that for a little longer. I'm trying to finish my mint. <laughs> you don't mind? Um, they love it. They love it. Spit it over there. <laughs> What's up, Texas? We're uh, finally here. Uh, I wore my cowboy boots for you guys. Yeah. Take a walk. Walk those things around. Vince said, oh, hey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scared. Vince said that they're culturally appropriating. Yes. I'm culturally appropriating. You're, this is definitely a problematic way to start the show. Sorry, for sure. guys. Um, and I also wore my hair closer to God. I guess that's okay. Yeah, they love that. See, I know how to pander. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What about what, what are you wearing well, tonight, I Karen? I'm wearing a dress that's a little too tight. <laughs> and so it's got I've got like a reverse spank situation mm. where it kind of like you can't tell if it's a big stomach or a flop of material, and neither it's can material. I. <laughs> I'm not sure what's happening down here. And I um, don't care anymore. Show everyone your fancy things. I really wanted to put my microphone next to that microphone. Do you know how much the sound guy would hate me if I did that? <laughs> Just like, what do you think? Oh, no. So obnoxious. Uh, this place is haunted, I heard. Stephen, is it? Stephen sent us this long text that I got after, like, we got off the plane, and it was like, it was like the, the, fa- like the history of this place, and here yeah. are all the ghosts. There's a, proje- there's a projectionist that mm. worked here uh, when this was a movie theater and he died while showing Casablanca, yeah. which everyone thinks is beautiful because he died doing what he loved. <laughs> I agree. I didn't, mean to stay, I didn't mean to say it like that. That sounded argumentative <laughs> and bizarre. So stupid. Uh, you guys think that's nice. <laughs> what you don't know is... Uh, okay, I was going to tell you on stage um, that... Saving it for this. Yeah. So Vince and I were on the airplane today, and I couldn't, like, like get into Wi-Fi. So he was, like, leaned over, as a husband will do, and was like, well, let me figure this out. And so he, like, figures all this stuff out, and then he goes to click on a website just to see if it's working, and he pulls down my favorites page, which, you know, most people are like, Facebook and Twitter and, like, I, Craigslist or whatever the, like, normal <laughs> things are. Yep. 
And it was, and then he stares at it for a minute and he goes, are these all serial killers? <laughs> and I was just like, yeah. Yeah. And then we moved on and that They're, was it. Serial killers are my Google. They <laughs> yeah. just, that's it's all just it is. the given. Yeah. I had a, a kind of fascinating thing happen. First of all, I was the last person on the planet. Oh my God. Yeah. You give me a panic attack. It's, I know. It's, uh, that's how different George and I are. I was standing in secure, the security line, like, oh, this sucks. And George is like, text, text, text. I'm on the plane. Where are you? <laughs> I was like, fuck. So I walked right on last. Um, but then a guy who looked like he was, mm. it could have been, I mean, he was on his way to the city, but I was like, is he coming to our festival? Um, he was really big and had a ton of tattoos and many on his neck. Yeah. Uh, my friend used to call those the job stoppers. <laughs> Just something to consider. Um, but these guys look like, they look like they were at a band. Of like a, it could have been Linkin Park. I'm not sure. I'm really old. <laughs> I'm incredibly yeah. old. But, and he um, didn't have like tattoos that are like, oh, he's like, he just like pays a lot of money and gets tattoos. Like they look like prison tattoos. They look kinda. like defensive maneuvers, the way yeah. a, a cuttlefish changes into a different thing yeah. in the ocean. They'll be like, don't get me. Yeah, he's totally like, beware of me. I'm very scary. Yeah. Well, he stands up. And he's like, I gotta get off this plane. And he fucking takes off. He had to go. He couldn't handle flying the plane. I think he may have had a teardrop tattoo, but he couldn't. <laughs> a three-hour flight was not going to happen in his life. Just like a, he was panicking? Yeah. Oh. I know. That's sweet. You should have cradled him the whole flight. <laughs> Could you come down here a second? You're gonna love this. I'll hold your hand. I know it's a weird time for you, and it's probably very shaming to be a very large, mean-looking man that's <laughs> literally like, get me off this plane right now. <laughs> Bested by a panic attack. Man, yeah. that's a bummer. I mean, I've, I've had it. I've had, and on a plane, I've actually had a seizure on a plane. No brag, no brag. <gasps> oh, no. It's pretty cool. I was... I had been bumped up to first class because they screwed up my ticket yeah. and I was flying home from England. Oh my God. And I was sitting next to, <laughs> I was sitting next to this man who was like, he was like a silver fox and he had like really expensive clothes on from what I could tell, like not Target. And <laughs> like I wanted to touch it. And he was like kind of being charming and talking to me oh and it, I had the thought in my head of like, why can't I have a sugar daddy? Why can't I be one of those girls? <laughs> I, would be the, I would be the best kind because you wouldn't see it coming. It'd be like, oh, is that your assistant? And you'd be like, yep, that's my assistant. Um, I had this whole fantasy in my mind of how we were going to do it. But then I had a seizure. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my and God. The, that's the worst possible. Like, it was. And then... Yeah. Not cool. Like, it's not how you want a guy to see you foaming oh. at the mouth with blue lips. Um, the last thing I heard was him go, excuse me, I think this young lady needs help. Like, he was oh already, God. it's like we were no longer even close anymore. He was immediately oh distancing God. himself from me just because I was having a seizure I, like a common drug addict on a plane. <laughs> uh, that's... Oh, ooh, that makes me. That's scary. I know. Sorry, I just dug that one up from deep, <laughs> no, deep down good. inside. I've only done the normal throwing up thing on a plane before, which, you like everyone here has, probably, right? 
Uh, nope. <laughs> Just me. <laughs> do you, well, I think they have some questions like I do. Was it in the aisle or in the bathroom? No, no, no. It was in a receptacle. Like, not in... Where? In your lap, though? Uh, I don't... Yeah. Say. Yes. Uh, what? <laughs> Into one of them bags? Yeah. For You used a barf bag yeah. on a plane? Yeah. Are you from 1955? <laughs> this is amazing. Yeah. That happened. The, That's what and, they're for, though, right? Uh, no, totally. Sorry. The tone is wrong. I'm a little nervous, so everything I'm saying isn't how I mean it. It's all coming out super weird, but did you have to... This is the question I've always had, because it's barf. I mean, it just yeah. comes out. So do you, like, make your own thing at the top uh-huh. so it doesn't come out the sides? Yeah, hopefully it won't be, like, overflow and you don't have to grab your neighbors. Right. But then they have, like... It's like you're at, like, the grocery store getting vegetables and it has a little, like, twist. No. It's like a a bag of cookies from Trader Joe's or something. Oh, I don't want to eat these all at once. I'm just going to wrap it down, put it aside. I'm a good, I'm a like good controlled barfer though. So like it was fine. Yeah. Real. Oh, from practice? Well, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Eating disorders. Teenage girls. deal with them. Junior. Go to therapy. Very difficult time. got real deep, real quick. (laughs) God, I wish I'd... Knowing that about you... Cool. Lots of anorexics in the house tonight. (laughs) And bulimics. Hey. I actually had my dentist when I was in college, my dentist, who, Dr. Brown, who's my dentist all my life since I was a baby. And I was like... Baby teeth? Baby teeth! Um, I opened my mouth, and this is probably sophomore year in college, and he goes, oh no, are you vomiting? Oh! Dr. Brown and I were the only ones that knew. Oh my I was like, God. it's still not working, Dr. Brown! <laughs> this isn't the diet they promised it would be. <laughs> He was like, don't drink 50 beers every night, Karen. I was like, sorry, I have no control over that part, Dr. Brown. None of this is real. None of that part of the conversation happened. (laughs) It's called (laughs) ad-libbing. That's right. we love it. We love it. (laughs) Thanks. What a, what a uh, historic place to perform in, that gorgeous song that I just... <laughs> we love it so much. And what a historic place to talk about barfing. Yes. It's pretty beautiful. This is the most beautiful place I've ever talked about barfing before. Um, now I want to see you do it myself, I have to say. I'll let at, you know next time. At some you know point what? on this tour, I want to see it. Okay. I've had red wine, too much red wine, you know, <laughs> Ooh, that sort of thing. That would be a bad one. I know. Because that's going to stain me as well as you. <laughs> wow. Yeah. We, this is clearly my favorite murder. <laughs> Hi. Hi. Yeah. About this show, I don't know why. Because uh, Austin's cool people. Austin's cool people. You know that. It's comedy people. That's very important. Yeah. Um, it's also Texas. You guys have been showing up for this podcast yeah. since day one, like big time. Thank you. Yeah. I feel like when we were in New York, and I was like, "This is big." at the weekend I feel the same way where it's like oh my god don't make them hate you I'm doing this is a great the moment job. where it's all click 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 I saw him live that was it <laughs> I got it out of my system oh no 
It happens sometimes. Yeah. We'll think of something else. We'll make croissants or something. It'll be fine. <laughs> we'll be fine. Oh, we got cookies backstage, too. Oh, yeah. Thanks for the cookies. Yeah, they're so pretty. We love them. No. Um, should we... <laughs> Very good state. Somebody with the, who clearly studied theater was like, You're welcome. <laughs> I used my diaphragm. Project your voice. There you go. There you go. Do you know, you want to know a trick about song performance? Yeah. This is one of the only things I learned in college. And I, because I took a class, it was um, stage performance for musical theater singing. Stage performance. We got the musical theater crowd, I hear tonight. (laughs) What up, nerds? Um, So you guys already know this, so don't go get bored as I tell you this, but (laughs) as people in musicals sing, you just always have your arm going in a different direction. Oh my God. And the thing is, if like, if you're going to sing about the horizon, you don't point to the horizon. You like sing about the horizon, but you point down there and then suddenly you're like, oh my God, I love that. Is it because someone's going to, you point at the horizon and the people are going to be like, where's the horizon? (laughs) Is there a horizon in here? Really a horizon? Okay, so it's just really... Just kind of go opposite of what you're talking about, and it creates a bit of a a, a cognitive dissonance in the mind, and then the performance seems more important than it actually is, and you're not just singing about Oklahoma. I get it. Wow. That's really great. Thank you. I also need to learn how to sing and not just hurt people's ears when I sing, but... But I'll do it this while I'm doing it. Just give it a whirl. Yeah, I will. Next time at karaoke. Okay. Steve, is Steven under here? No. Uh, Steven's at home watching my cats, and he keeps sending me the cutest photos. Like, really cute photos. I feel like if there's anyone that was ever born to be a cat sitter, oh my God. it's Steven Ray Morris. Yeah. Like... If you don't know him, and maybe some of you don't, or you're like, who's this guy? It's just, if you picture a cat sitter in your mind just as fast as you can, that's him. Add a mustache, boom. It's boom. so funny because sometimes I get depressed when I'm on the, like when we're out touring because I miss my cats and I'm like, are they okay? I don't know if they're feeding them. I wonder if they misses me, you know? Yeah. Oh, I, have to I drink too much red wine to forget it. But like knowing Steven's there, like I barely thought about them. No. I'm just like, no, they're actually, they like him a little better than me. Yeah, he, and he loves them more oh, than my, you. He loves them way more than, like, I yeah. love, you know, and he just is taking so many selfies with the cats. And I gave him my Instagram cat, my cat Instagram password. Whoa. I'm just like, go crazy, dude. That's real commitment. Get me some followers. What's up? <laughs> work it, Steven, yeah, work it. let's get it um, together. Yeah, let's hear it for Steven Ray Morris. Yeah. He makes it, he makes it all happen. We recently got asked if we were really as mean to him in real life as we are in the podcast. We are. But it doesn't matter because now he gets anything that we get sent, they, people send things to Steven now too. Yeah. So he's just, he's on the bandwagon. Yeah. I think the dream is to start making enough money that Steven not only is able to come on tour with us, but he is lower down on a half moon. <laughs> At the top of the show. Don't For you think sure. that, wouldn't that be good? Oh my God. Holding a live hairless cat. Oh my God. Immediately that needs to happen to me. Yeah. Should we sit down? Look at these nice seats. I know. These are some good, young. I think these are kind of the nicest ones we've had in a while. Yeah. They look I'm like gonna do, I'm going to do this though. Last time yeah. I really felt like something rated a 
like NC-17 was happening oh, no. while I was on stage. So I just well, like to do you. a little less of the direct, like, you didn't pay extra for those seats, okay. did you? You don't get to have that. Everyone look away real quick. Uh-oh. There we go. These might be more form than function. <laughs> All right. How's that? Um, did you hear that? I Mine's, do. It's, you can make it fart. Farfy. <laughs> so. It feels a little unstable. Like... You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So one of us might fall. Someone in the back that works here is crying. They're like, those are my good stools. <laughs> I thought they would love them. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah. Just a little. Oh, this is perfect. I'll sit like this. A three quarter. And then when I tell my day. murder, I'll just do this. And I'll do that. And I'll do this. And then down And I'll do here. this. And I just won't even look yes. at you the whole time. You're gonna Sharon Stone this thing? <laughs> I thought that's what I thought that's what you were doing. I didn't mean to put you in a bad place. No, I mean no. I might as well. No, you so, don't. I can't no. sing, and you don't want to see my underwear. <laughs> those are the two. Those are my two rules. Yeah. In life, you've got to have at least two rules when you go on stage, and not showing people your underwear <laughs> should maybe should be in there if that's your thing. Sure. Probably if you're a podcaster. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, because, man, I don't spend enough money on lingerie because who cares? <laughs> Who's going to Target? Again, bought mine from Target. Not like rich people. I mean, look, it works. Target works. And so we work it. Yeah. I mean, I need to get, look, I need to get eye drops, bananas, and a brand new coat. Where am I going to go? <laughs> I'm fucking going to Target. Uh, should we do our murders? Yeah, you want to? Yeah, you guys want to do murders? Do you want to hear some? Oh. <laughs> now I'm ready. <laughs> well, Karen, let me tell you a tale of murder. <laughs> that was cool. It's like when you get your hair cut and totally. they adjust you and you're like, why though? Yeah. Why? Come, come back. Oh. Are you staying there? I, well, come I, back to I don't want to be up as high as I was. Okay, yeah, so how do we... Boop! Oh. Uh-oh. Boop! This oh, is yeah. the part where I break my own nose with a chair. You just gotta boop it a little. You can tell I've worked at an office for like 10 years because I know how to boop, boop these chairs perfectly. Oh, you did it real subtle? What? You, you uh -huh. mean you did little, little boops? Boop. Yeah. Boop. Nice. Good work. I'm new to chairs. <laughs> <laughs> this is the listening arm. Yes. Oh. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, I'm first, right? You're first okay. this time, yeah. Okay. Right now. Thank you. Right? Okay. I can see. I don't want to. Oh, oh, oh. You start reading mine. Stop <laughs> it. Georgia always does that anytime her paper is face up near me backstage and I go and like anywhere near it, she'll go, don't read it. And I'm like, I am blind. I can't see anything with no glasses on. I just love when it's a surprise. I don't know why. It's like, doesn't make a difference, but I love it. <laughs> it's our thing. It's our thing. Just okay. like the underwear rule. It's ours. Ours and ours alone. Okay. And one of the other reasons I'm nervous is because this murder, like when we knew we were coming to Austin, I like a baby brat said, I get this one. <laughs> like called it to Karen so hard and she was like, go ahead. <laughs> and then I took it on and I was like, this is hard. Uh, shit. You know, what were you? Yeah. 
Wait, is this the one you told me you weren't gonna do? I said I was gonna do it, and then I said, never mind, I'm not doing it, and then I did it. (laughs) (laughs) And now you're about to do it? And now I'm doing it. Okay. Georgia, is there anything scarier than trying to log into an account and it tells you that your password is incorrect? And then you try again and it's the same thing. And after a few more failed attempts, big red letters appear saying you've been locked out and your account is suspended. That happens to me all the time, Karen. But scary password stories can have happy endings if you give 1Password a try. 1Password is a user-friendly password management system. It's trusted by consumers, families, small businesses, and large-scale enterprises. If you're tired of being the family member everyone texts for a streaming login or the unofficial keeper of all those shared work credentials, it's time for you to pass the torch to 1Password. They allow for secure login sharing. With 1Password, you can securely store more than just passwords, autofill everything from usernames to payments details and personal info. They'll also notify you about potential data breaches. 1Password saves everyone time. And in many cases, that save time equals money saved. The accounting department will thank you. Don't just listen to us. I mean, you should, but don't just do that. The Associated Press uses 1Password to secure their sensitive information in high-risk areas. Right now, our listeners can get a two-week free trial at onepasswordcom MFM. That's two free weeks at one, as in the number one, password.com slash mfm onepasswordcom mfm goodbye this is this is the yogurt shop right yeah. oh. we've got to figure out a way to explain yeah. to people who like work here <laughs> or might just be passing through the room accidentally right what that moment is about yeah because it's not what it seems. Yeah. It's not what it appears. That's a good point. Yeah. And whatever. We'll, we'll worry about it later. It'll say, there may be cheering for murders. <laughs> but it's not that exactly. But, yeah. that it's not really that. Yeah. But we don't... Okay. Yeah. Whatever. Um, not our problem. Okay. So, in Austin, Texas, the early 90s, it's still a relatively small college town feel where violent crime was fairly rare. And that all changed on December 6, 1991, when 13-year-old Amy Ayers, 15-year-old Sarah Harrison, when they went to I Can't Believe It's Yogurt in a strip mall. That's like a really unfortunate name. No, listen, I wanted to laugh too, but I'm a professional, so I didn't. But I heard a snicker, and then I was like, do we do that? No, well, there's a whole run of yogurt. We can just visit this for one second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In like 90s. The, in the 80s and 90s, frozen yogurt was like the penicillin of America. Yeah. It, it came so hard for us, and we all bought it totally. 100%. To- totally. We're like, in my mind, I was like, well, this is, this is a diet. I'm going to eat this yeah. only. It's yogurt. Yeah. And this is, and now I'm going to have like John Hughes High School experience. <laughs> Didn't uh, turn out that way. No, but, but also, I still love, I would get carob chips on mine because oh. I was a hippie. Um, <laughs> you are a big hippie. I'm a big hippie. But the names also, so there was, yes. I can't believe it's not yogurt. It was the, I can't believe it's yogurt. I can't believe it's yogurt. My, I had one across the street in my house called Frogan Yogurt. It's just like, <laughs> you just can't name it like my, my frozen yogurt. I worked in one in high school oh, called yeah. How Sweet It Is. Gotta. But then it was almost like a subtitle of We Have Yogurt. <laughs> You'd think that 
since I love puns so much, I'd love like a play on a name. But, yes. you know, sometimes it's, it's got to be simple. There's also the country's best yogurt, which if it's a chain, how can that be? <laughs> but let's not argue right now. Is it a franchise or no? Okay. I can't believe it's yogurt in a strip mall off West Anderson Lane to visit Sarah's 17-year-old sister, Jennifer, and their friend Eliza Thomas, also 17, as they closed up the shop around 11 p.m. Remember when you could just work at places by yourself until 11 p.m.? Sure. Just like hanging out, closing shops by yourself? I totally like, did hey, that. I'm a sophomore. Of course yeah. I can do this business. Yeah, I'm a, I have a key of course to I should have the keys and work the safe. Totally. Yeah. That's definitely Makes something. perfect sense. Um... Well, so the girls were going to have a sleepover afterwards, so Amy and Sarah came by to help close, what? Just that they're, like, closing a business and then going to a sleepover. Yeah. That should be the, hey. Like, half of them can't drive. Yeah. And then they're, um, so they're helping to close up, which is so sweet. They're like, we'll help you mop so we can go hang out sooner. And so, um, so this was close to 11 p.m. when Amy and Sarah showed up. And let's cut to midnight, about an hour later, after the close sign had been turned, the front door was locked, and the man who owned the shop next door called Party House spotted flames and smoke and called the fire department. Let's do the first picture, please. That's, I can't believe it's yogurt, exclamation mark. Um, <laughs> fucked up, right? <laughs> I mean, we, we really couldn't believe it was yogurt at the time. It's, it just was, it tasted so much like ice cream. It was like, am I a Dairy Queen? This is insane. My life is so much better yeah. now. And yogurt's healthy. I eat it all it's, the time. And you're a hippie. I mean, all these things. Uh, that's such a 90s crime scene photo. Yeah. It's like such a bummer. It should have like the digital date down in the bottom. Yeah. Like your mom took the picture with her camera. Oh. This is, okay, this but is bad. But I think what's so crazy about it is that this is a really, like, almost suburban area, and there's, like, the strip malls, and, like, it's pretty safe, and you don't normally see 17 fire trucks at a spot, so I think everyone knew something was up. Yeah. Um, okay, you can take that off. Thanks. Um, <laughs> Burn it. Oh. <laughs> oh, I didn't mean it like that. I didn't, sorry. No, no. That does not count against me this time. <laughs> I didn't that cut that. Steven, that never happened in, in reality. Fuck. Um. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, you can take it down because I want everyone staring at me and not that horrible photo. Oh no. Oh. Today's the day she turns into a diva. <laughs> I've been waiting till Austin to really come out and That's right. hate you all. No, I love you all. Um, well, or we can leave it up. As they worked to put out the flames, um, the building was, of course, trampled by many firefighters because they thought, thought it was just a fire. And then one of the firefighters went in the back door, spotted a human foot inside the back door of the storage room, like sticking out. And then shortly after that, they realized what was going on. The bodies of Sarah, Jennifer, and Eliza were all found uh, together in the storage area. They'd all been stripped. This is so fun. They've all been stripped and two were bound, and three girls were shot in the back, and the three girls were shot in the back of the heads with 22 calibers. Eliza and Sarah had been stacked upon each other, and Jennifer was laying next to them, possibly having been moved by the high-powered fire hoses that had swept the scene. Oh. 
And then 13-year-old Amy was found a few minutes later lying alone. She was barely alive, um, and she was near the bathrooms. She had been initially shot with the 22 as well, but had survived that and was shot again with a 38, and she died shortly after. Um, some of the girls had been raped, but it would be years before DNA testing would become available. So investigators concluded that the fire was set to cover up the crime, and the culprits had drenched styrofoam cups with lighter fluid and set them on fire. Um, there was about $540 missing from the register, but investigators didn't think the motive was robbery because there was also a bank bag underneath the cash register, and it had money in it, and nobody took it. Um, so I've been reading the book Who Killed These Girls by Beverly Lowry, which is a new book simply about this crime. It's really good, and don't read it before you go to bed. Mm. Um, and so she says that some of the shortcomings of the less-than-experienced Austin PD, they talk about that a lot, fire and water damage, the lack of mode, uh, multiple victims, the amount of people traipsing through the scene, all should have been handled by investigators who had experience in these kind of crime scenes, but they weren't, because Austin at the time didn't have that. Well, also, when you think it's a fire, you're not treating right. it like a crime scene. So no. It's the exact opposite of how you would treat a crime scene. Actually. Right. But as soon as that ha like as soon as that happened, it should have been locked down. They should have gotten someone in who was, in you know. But anyways, yeah. The bodies weren't swabbed for traces of an accelerant. The bathrooms weren't dusted for fingerprints. The trash bags weren't combed through. The metal shelves and mops that were next to the girls when the fire started somehow ended up in the alley, and then they disappeared, most likely taken to the dump. Mm. So that's what happened. Uh, during the investigation, Daryl Croft who seems like a badass. He's a former cop who ran a security company now, and he, uh, he had been in the yogurt shop around 10 o'clock that evening buying yogurt. And while he was there, he told investigators that he was approached by a man wearing a military fatigue-style jacket, um, and he was telling the other customers to go ahead of him for some reason. And he, he asked Daryl if he was a cop, because he saw his car that had lights, the security lights on it. And when he said no, he offered Daryl to go ahead of him. And I think like a normal Texan man, he was like, no. You know, like gruff is go ahead yeah. kind of a thing. Um, so then the man, so Daryl said that when the man did go to the counter in front of him, he ordered only a can of soda. And then after he paid, he moved around the counter and went to the back of the store. And when Daryl asked where he'd gone, Eliza told him that she'd allowed him to go to the back to use the bathroom, so she didn't know him. Um, Daryl hung around that for a counter for a few minutes to see if the man ever returned, but he didn't. He stayed in the back, and then Daryl said there was just something that didn't feel right, and when the man just didn't return, Daryl left the store. That was around 10 p.m. Mm. He's got to have some guilt over, you know what I mean? I mean, well, what's, yeah. No. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know what was up. What's everyone doing? <laughs> there was a hubbub. <clears throat> well, also, that's the thing of, if he stays in the store, now he's the weird guy in the store. Totally. I mean, but I think he knew them, the girls. Oh, he did? Like, small town, he knew them. Even weirder. <laughs> Don't you think? Well, yeah, he also, he went to the, he knew them for the gym, so that would be weird, too. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Um, there was also a couple, an older couple, that visited the store closer to closing time than Daryl on the same night of the murders, they saw the two men, they saw two men sitting in a booth acting strangely. The woman said that they made her uncomfortable. The couple left around 10.45 um, as the girls began to close up shop. They closed at 11, and they left the two men alone in the shop. 
So the policy of the store was to lock the door 10 minutes before actual closing time, but you leave the key in the lock so everyone who's finishing up, you can just easily let them out, but nobody new can come in, so the door is locked. Um, so these two creepy dudes were the last customers in the store last night, that night, and about an hour later, the fire was first noticed. So that's okay. Eight days after the murder, however, Jennifer, Eliza, Amy, and... Uh, Oh, sorry. Eight days after the murders, investigators picked up a 16-year-old kid named Maurice Pierce at the North Cross Mall, which is just a couple of blocks from the crime scene. He was carrying a 22 caliber handgun. During questioning, he said that he'd lent the gun to a friend, Forrest Wellburn, who was 15, and that they'd used it to commit the yogurt shop murders. And Wellborn denied any involvement, but told investigators that he and Pierce and a pair of acquaintances, Robert Springsteen and Mike Scott, had taken a joyride to San Antonio in a stolen SUV not long after the crime. And uh, so it put these two other boys, Robert and Mike, uh, on the radar as well. Uh, let's, I have a photo of it. If you can put the next one. No, that's not it. There we go. That's them. It's like, it just reminds me of um, Paradise Lost. Mm-hmm. Kinda. Yeah. What do you think? Guilty or not guilty? <clears throat> oh, shit. You're just saying that because of the mullet. <laughs> it's not fair. Anti mullet. It made sense back then. <laughs> you Other gotta people cover were your doing neck. It. Yeah, that's right. Um, um, okay. So, so Wellborn's brought in for questioning by the detective. He passes a polygraph test. The ballistics of the gun didn't match up to the bullets that had been used. There was no evidence to link any of them to the crime. Um, and detectives noted that Pierce seemed to have a mental illness. But anyways, they were dismissed as suspects, and the case stalled. So was Pierce the one that, that said he did it? Yeah, and that like, has the mental, mental illness. Ill. So that's almost exactly um, yeah. the crime you just named. <laughs> uh, Mm -hmm. Paradise, Thank you, Paradise Lost. Lost yeah. I was like, innocence something. <laughs> it just happened, and we can't remember. <laughs> yeah, that's right. This, that's right. Okay. So five years later, and around 342 suspects and 50 false confessions, or confessions that didn't pan out, a new detective, Paul Johnson, takes over. And he, okay, obviously it's one of those, the city's freaking the fuck out, why haven't you caught the murders, you guys are inept, that sort of thing. And so the cops do the thing that they always do, where they're like, it's this guy, you know, because they're like, we caught someone. So Paul Johnson did that. He, um, he focused on the boys, the four boys. Uh, let's see, he brought in Pierce, Scott, Springsteen, and Wellborn for questioning five years later. Um, all of them denied any involvement in the murders at first, but after a series of intense interrogations, Scott broke down and admitted that he helped carry out the murders, mm -hmm. saying he shot one of the girls in the head at Pierce's insistence. The police theory was that the four guys, these four teenagers, planned to rob the yogurt shop. Three of them would go in, one of them would wait in the car, but that something went right and the killing started. Then the detective that had originally dismissed the boys as suspect was never consulted. Uh, by the new cop. So in 1999, all four men charged with capital murder. Uh, Springsteen admitted to shooting one of the girls, but Pierce and Wellborn never admitted to killing, and they were let go. So the crazy one who started it all was let go. Despite having nothing but confessions to use against them, 
which by then they had both recanted, saying that police had, of course, coerced their statements. Um, and there was even a photo of Paul Johnson holding a gun in the interrogation room to the back of one of their heads. What? Yeah. Wh who took a picture of that? It's like a... <laughs> it was a selfie. Uh... <laughs> Uh, it was surveillance video of the fucking Oh, oh, thing. shit, yeah. So, like, that's kind of coercion. Did he not know? I mean... Jesus. Well, he had, he had already put people away for false confessions that later were exonerated by, by DNA and people admitting to it, so this was kind of his thing. Um, <laughs> and here he is now. Paul, <laughs> you get to say your side of things. Oh, I Paul? wonder what his hometown murder is. Um... Okay, so, so, but they're sentenced to, so Springsteen's sentenced to death, Scott's sentenced to life in prison without parole in 2001 and two. Then in 2007, new, so that was 2001, new DNA evidence not available during the original trials revealed a male's DNA on the youngest victim, Amy. When the DNA was tested, it didn't match any of the four teens. Convictions were overturned. The cases were thrown out more than 10 years after they were arrested. Um, so they were in jail for, for a decade? Yeah. All right. Um, so what, what really happened? So it wasn't until 2011 that Carlos Garcia, the lead defense attorney for Mike Scott, put the crime scene photos into sequence looking for details that he might have previously missed. This is fucking bananas. When he looked closely at a specific crime scene photo. Go! <laughs> sorry, sorry. Uh, when, he looked, when he looked at a specific crime scene photo of the dining area of the store, which wasn't that badly damaged by the fire, it showed the room mostly clean for the night. Tables had chairs stacked on them. The napkin holders were full, except for one table. A booth in the back, barely visible, and also the booth that the elderly woman told the investigators that the two sketchy men were sitting in close to closing time had no chairs on top of it, and the napkin holder was empty. Okay, let's get the phone out. What? For real? Yeah. <laughs> right back there. Oh, no. Isn't that fucked up? I, I like, got chills. Like, in the weirdest way up my neck when you said that. Look at the uh, napkin holder. It's fucking empty, man. Yeah. yeah. Dude. Every table has a chair on it. Also, look at that picture. I can't believe that's yogurt. <laughs> I fucking can't believe it. Oh, my God. So, like, Ooh, yeah, that's, so they okay. close and lock the door while these guys finish up. Mm -mm. They... Don't... But that cop in the office, he flips down that picture. Is he like screaming aloud by himself? I think everyone kind of went, oh, fuck, we really missed fuck. something. I think everyone kind of lost their minds. So good for this dude for fucking finding it. It's pretty amazing. So, so clearly they had been sitting there at closing time. The girls were cleaning up around them. They let the last stragglers stay. And at 11 o'clock, uh, the no sale button was pressed on the register. So Ugh. that's when they think everything started. They asked for change. They did something. They held a gun up to their faces probably. And I was like, give me all your money. Oh, that's true too. <laughs> <laughs> One of those. <laughs> change for the meter. 
They started off nice. The fuck am I talking about? Can I get some quarters for the meter? It's 11 o'clock at night, and I love yogurt. Oh, I still can't believe it's I, yogurt. I cannot believe this. This is crazy. I need change. So the defense lawyers believe that's the table where the killer sat. The key was still in the door when the fire started, which means the last customer had never been let out. There was a rag on the counter of someone who had been wiping down the counter, and there was also an unopened can of Coke sitting near the register. Remember he ordered a can of Coke? Oh, yeah. The guy who they found. Um, and the register had no sale at 11 o'clock, and the money was stolen, so that's when that probably started. And the killers likely escaped out of the back door after they started the fire. So they had an hour to do all of this. Mm-hmm. Neither Daryl Croft or the older married couple were called to testify at the teen's trial, so it's not known exactly what they saw because there's no um, testimony. So who killed these girls has, the book has a fucking detailed bananas theory and it made me sick and not be able to sleep so if you're a creep like me go read it <laughs> not if you don't like crime scene photos there's not a single one in there but that it's like reads like okay yeah oh no you you talking about this before the picture came up i was like oh i want to go home <laughs> there's like something yeah. about that that's just so fucking it's like the thing that's there that people cannot see how did you want to say like how did they not see this but like i don't would any of us no like it doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean anything unless you put all of the stuff together like there was two guys who were there at the end of it and like and they didn't let people, you know, it's just... Well, also, you have the shock and horror of a town like this and then four teenage girls being brutally murdered in the in a way that's just... There's so much grief, there's so much horror and loss that, like, I think details always get missed in that situation yeah. because it's everyone's just going, fix it, solve it right now, this has to be over. And everyone in town, and I think a lot of... I've read a lot of, like, hometown murders that people wrote, and they're like, this is when we stopped being able to go out. This is when the town wasn't the same anymore. And I remember it being this age and it happening. And it's just... It is such a horrible... I mean, I've, been, I've kind of followed it since it happened. Yeah. And I remember seeing that recently, and it's just one of those things that keeps unfolding and getting more and more gross and horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, so many people think this, that the serial killer Ken McDuff was the one the men in, was one of the men in the yogurt stores that night. He had kidnapped and killed Colleen Reed uh, on December 29th, 1991 in Austin with an accomplice. That's 23 days after the yogurt shop murder. He had a history of multiple murders involving teenagers, but he was soon ruled out of the crime, and I literally couldn't find anything more on this than uh, someone saying, he flat out said, I, had I done it, I would tell you, because I'd be proud of it. And then they're like, so it probably wasn't him. Goodbye. Like, I, I, it's so... I, I feel like that's a trick. I feel like that's a <laughs> yeah. trick he would use. Yeah. It's just, and it sounds, if you read about his, and I was scared that maybe you were doing that murder, and I was like stealing your whatever. <laughs> so much you're fear not. around me. I know. <laughs> Listen. Um, <laughs> but this guy is a fucking monster animal, and from the other crimes he's committed, he is absolutely capable of the details that I read about in the book. It's, it's not, this is a crime that is not for teenagers, you know, in my mind. It it could be wrong, but it's this sadistic serial killer who got let out after 11 years as a known serial killer because there was overcrowding in Texas prisons. Well, yeah, let those serial killers go first because (laughs) there are people who smoke pot illegally. So you've got (laughs) to, 
you've got to teach them. Yeah. You've got to teach them. It's so easy to have the answers when you have a pretty dress on and a, a great stool. <laughs> yeah, so this Ken McDuff motherfucker is crazy. Well, well, that's incredible that also that like a suspect that big would be in town. I mean... In town. Yeah. And, and he killed this other girl with an accomplice. So he works with two people, like the two of them, regularly. It just... It fits. And he's a rapist and he's just sadistic so it doesn't it doesn't it adds up yeah um but it's rumored that he admitted to the day he was put to death he some people say he admitted to the the yogurt shop murders so they think he did it but what but, jailhouse gossip like no one can confirm it yeah fuck yeah um ken detectives are i know this guy's a fucking creeper too. If you see his photo, you're just like, oh, I would never like let you in my store. I don't have it, sorry. Oh. Uh, and I was trying so hard. There's like this guy, Daryl, has a description of what the guy looked like, and I was taking, I was looking for photos of him, and I was like, please have a pointy nose, please have a pointy nose, and, and he didn't. And I was like, well, I'm not showing that photo then because he it, could have punched himself in the nose. Yeah. It doesn't line up with what I want it to, so I'm not going to even acknowledge it because I don't have to. Because that's the way our yeah, podcast. That's the way. <laughs> Um, so detectives are still working on finding more evidence in the murders, but for now, it remains an unsolved mystery. And I have the photo of the girls, if you want to see them. I know, I'm sorry. That's Amy right there. That's Jennifer, her sister Sarah, and that's Eliza. Sweet baby angels. Isn't it horrifying? They're sisters. We love sisters. Mm -hmm. Um, I just, uh, this one hurts me bad. I know, I'm sorry. Is no, I, I mean, I hope just, yours is funny. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now pull us up. Um, no, it's just like, that's what everybody looked like at my high school. I know. We worked in, the, the yogurt shop we worked at, it was because the Knowles sisters worked there. Yeah. And so we, it was like, oh, do you want to work at the yogurt shop? Susie Knowles can get right. you a job Well, there. that's what happened with the, these two girls. Yeah. They were best friends. Is, and she's like, let me get you the job at the yogurt shop. And I wasn't going to post the photo because it's so sad but I'm like that's not fair to them you gotta like acknowledge them we so, gotta power through it yeah it's just um, yeah it could be all of us and any of us I know yeah, yeah. yeah. so that's the ogre shop murders you're not as excited as you were in the beginning I can tell see how fucked up these live shows are that guy's leaving he can't fucking take it I'm sorry I'm so sorry you too oh <laughs> The whole fucking front row. <laughs> this is bullshit. They're like, actually, we could just see George's underwear and it's freaking us out a little bit. So we're going to go stand in the back. We're fine with the murder. It's just that where, where are you getting those stripes? Yeah, those are clearly from four years ago. <laughs> I at least two years ago. Everyone's going to pick up a pair that's literally there's like weird shreds coming uh -huh. off of them where you're just like, well, first of all, A, where did I buy these? And secondly, d did I only pay 99 cents for them? <laughs> And why won't I throw them away? Yeah, everything, everything you're saying, and then I think about like friends who like buy expensive lingerie, and then I pull out underwear, and it's got the target. You know when you rip the tag off, and it yeah. has the um, thread still in it. Yeah, I don't cut that out. It's just like <laughs> it's all of my underwear have a little thread from the tag I pulled off yeah. on it, and that's just what I do. I want to know that people who wear like fancy lingerie around, so. <laughs> What kind of day yeah. do you have yeah. where that's, <laughs> that's something that you can make work underneath totally. until the nighttime? I don't... 
if I lived alone and when I did, oh, there would just be a me- I would wear them. Like I, I wear somewhat not. I have to throw them away sometimes because I'm like, Vince is going to think I'm this person. <laughs> but I totally am that person who just wears seven-year-old underwear. I don't know. I mean, sometimes it feels like a victory to have seven-year-old underwear because you're just like, you pick it up and then you're just like, oh my God, remember when you had yeah. fucking purple hair or whatever? Yeah. Oh, I good memories in these. <laughs> Moving on. Um, That was a sidebar. Yeah, underwear sidebar. (laughs) Uh, Well, because we're in Austin, I'm going to do the servant girl annihilator. Yeah. Right? It's the one that, listen, if you Google Austin serial killer, that's what comes up. It's like the first seven results. And this will lighten the mood a little, I feel like. Would you say? I think this will lighten the mood a little bit. Yes, too. for sure. Oh, yeah. Ooh. Vintage murders, everyone's like, okay. Vintage, there's annihilation. It's what everybody likes. Yeah. All right. Uh, <laughs> sometimes when I'm writing this and I'm under pressure because it's 5.05 yep. and the sh- <laughs> we have to be here at 6 because the yeah. show starts at 7. I emailed this to Vince at like... 545. I was like, can you print this for me? Do you find that you're more, you let yourself be more uh, flowery and interesting as you write your, as you put it together? No, I started it like two weeks ago and I was like, this is going to be so detailed and interesting. And then I kept going back and be like, I don't have as much stuff as I thought I did. And like, fuck. And like copying and pasting shit. Oh, okay. No. Oh, because I get, well, my only point was just, I do stuff like the year of 1885. It was a difficult one for Austin, Texas. <laughs> now that guy leaves. Ah. It's fine, it's fine, it's fine. He was just here with his girlfriend anyway. He's never been into it. Now she has to watch football. It's a trade-off thing. Oh. It happens a lot. Or wrestling, maybe. Yeah, maybe some wrestling. Maybe professional wrestling. She- <laughs> okay. <clears throat> In 1885, here in your beautiful town, there was an unprecedented axe murder crime spree that had the entire city in a panic. Um, By the end of the year, there was a citywide curfew. Strangers were forced to identify themselves or be run out of town. Georgia! (laughs) You're just like, it's Karen. Karen, my middle name's Lynn? No, out, out. We don't know you. Um, Citizens formed a vigilance committee to patrol the streets at night. Downtown saloons were being forced to close at midnight. What? Insanity. The horror. (laughs) It said saloons and other raucous businesses. Mm. What's that, you guys? Yeah. It's like... Whorehouse. We're talking about (laughs) whoresack. I mean... Sex worker house. uh, Sex worker's apartment building. (laughs) At one point, the city hired Pinkerton detectives to come and try to find this man, but they couldn't do it. If the Pinkerton people can't find it, if the Pinkertons can't find it, four hundred men were arrested. No one was ever officially charged for all the crimes. To this day, no one knows for sure who the servant girl annihilator was. So it all started on the night of December thirtieth, eighteen eighty-four, at nine hundred one West. Pecan Street or Pecan. I don't know how you guys do it. <laughs> pecan. 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 It's Pecan. Okay. It's actually 
It said Almond. Oh, Almond Street. Yeah. Sorry, I'm from California. <laughs> 901 West Pecran Street. <laughs> A 25-year-old woman named Molly Smith, who was working in that household as a cook, was attacked with an axe while she slept. Then the intruder dragged her unconscious body out of the house, into the backyard, raped her, and then murdered her in the backyard. Why? But, <laughs> I mean, I, why to a lot of that? No, just, yeah, philosophically yeah. and but also, emotionally. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then also just like why did you stay move inside. the body? Yeah, yeah, just stay that's, inside. That was my main why, but that sounds shitty. <laughs> Is that the main why? Yeah. I actually really wanted to, uh, but it turns out I had to take a shower. I wanted to <laughs> do a thing where I looked at what the full when the full moons were because <gasps> there's a there's a lot of theories about that part of it. When when this gets really bad and this axe murderer in your town <laughs> repeatedly kills a ton of people. Everybody goes nuts with the theories, and mm. it's kind of awesome. Okay, so we'll get to it a little bit. So Molly was the first victim five months later on May 7th, 1885, at 302 East Cypress Street. Dr. Lucian B. Johnson um, has employed a cook named Eliza Shelley. Eliza th is a 30-year-old mother of two young children. One is six years old, named Georgia. Oh, my God. And one is six months old. <laughs> um, Eliza's husband is in prison, um, and she lives in Dr. Johnson's home, um, working for them with her children, and um, she is described later as an excellent woman. Hmm. Um, on the night of May 7th, an intruder breaks in and attacks Eliza as she sleeps, murdering her with hmm. an axe. Um, so two weeks later, on May 23rd, um, at 302 East Linden Street, in the home of Sophia Whitman, um, so basically Sophia had her house up in the front, and then there were apartments in the back, and back there a widow named Irene Cross lived with her son Washington and her nine-year-old nephew Douglas. And Like Douglas Washington? Uh, no, Washington was the other son's Got name. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. Um, we've got to be able to talk about stuff like this. <laughs> um, uh, so that night, same intruder breaks into Irene's apartment, murders her in bed with a knife. Her son Washington, who was adult, I think he was 24, was gone. He was out for the night. Douglas, the nine-year-old nephew, is the one of the only real eyewitnesses of the uh, servant girl annihilator. And when he talked to the police, um, he described the police to the police. Um, the person he saw was quote a big chunky Negro man who was barefooted with his pants rolled up. What? So. Three months go by. Now we're at 300 East Cedar Street, and it's the home of a, a man named Valentine Weed. It's all one wants for Valentine. I mean, really. only great things are happening in that house <laughs> with Valentine Weed. Uh, she's so pissed. Um, <laughs> A block, so this is, and this house is exactly a block north of where Eliza Kelly was murdered. Um, so a woman named Rebecca Ramey, who was a 50-year-old widowed mother of three, um, got a job as a domestic servant for the Weed family. Mm. Um, she lived uh, on the property with her 11-year-old daughter, Mary. And um, 
Rebecca actually came from a very prominent Austin family. Her brother, Edward Carrington, ran the Carrington Grocery Store, which was one of the first black-owned businesses in Austin. And she also had another brother who ran the nearby blacksmith shop. Um, I couldn't find, I couldn't drag and drop this picture to give it to Steven to mm -hmm. put in our thing. Oh, I bet I have a picture too. You can throw up really whatever you have. Oh, look, there's your town. <laughs> Remember when it was just a grid? Where are we? It was so easy to ride your bike around <laughs> with your big beard or whatever. <laughs> uh, well, but there was a picture of, uh, of Rebecca's family and they all had these amazing, like, um, you know, like the Coke model lady. They all mm. had like those tiny waist, high neck Awfully. dresses with a big hat and they oh, all super like, you know, don't fuck with me. It was awesome. Yeah. Um, don't fuck with me. I'm about to faint from my organs yes, being <laughs> fucking smashed. Seriously, please don't fuck with me because yeah. I will pass out. <laughs> um, Okay, so she, um, she is, uh, when she is widowed, she has to start working for herself, so she gets this job, and uh, she works for the weeds. <laughs> uh, so dumb. Okay, so... I have a horrible pun, but I'm not going <laughs> to... Well, do it, do it. An intruder breaks into her bedroom window, beats her until she's unconscious, then goes into 11-year-old Mary's room, drags her out into the backyard, rapes her and murders her with a fucking axe. All right. Fuck. Uh, so these, this is when the rumors begin, um, because people start talking about this must be a supernatural being, because what? everyone's saying that the nights these attacks occur, no dogs bark. So there are dogs in the uh, next door neighbor's yards. When he pulls people out into those yards, no dogs are barking. And they can't figure out why. You gave a mistake. Oh. For a mistake. Wait, well, hold on a I second. I just solved the motherfucking crime. <laughs> well, good night, everybody. Thanks so much. Um. <laughs> I mean, you guys have seen cartoons, right? Where they like, try to sneak in and they're just like, you just there's a really T-bone, you know? A steak. And then the dog eats it and pulls out a cat. Yeah. Cat skeleton for, I mean, fish skeleton. Fish skeleton. Forget yeah. it. <laughs> All right. Okay. <clears throat> okay. So uh, among those, because also there was um, many nights, it was either a full moon or there was just a lot of moonlight. So people don't understand how this person's getting away with mm. it. A lot of people think he might be invisible. Um, uh, <laughs> there's, a, there's an invisibility factor to it. Look, I'm a, here he is now. <laughs> nothing. Um, <clears throat> moving on. Why is every page upside down? I it's don't know. Make sense. <laughs> trying to do this right. On a month later, on the night of, is that right? Yes. Yes. Just three months went by. So a month later, and this is also that thing that they're spaced out in this really interesting way, where he like has a bunch of murders, then rests for three months mm. and has a classic serial killer. Mm -hmm. On the night of September 28th at the residence of William B. Dunham's house. It's at 2408 Guadalupe Street. Do you live there? Guadalupe? I'm not talking to you anymore. <laughs> so, man. This 25. I'm nervous about Texas. <laughs> oh, this is nothing compared to we've had what we had before. That's true. Um, 
So in this house, in the back, uh, there's a cabin in, in the back of the house where 25-year-old Orange Washington and his girlfriend, 20-year-old Gracie Vance, um, are, are sleeping. And the intruder once again breaks in and he murders Orange in his sleep and then drags Gracie into the backyard, rapes her and murders her. Fuck. Three months later, Christmas Eve, it, uh, at 203 Water Street, it's the home of Moses Hancock. So 41-year-old Susan Hancock, who is the mother of two girls, it's Christmas Eve, they're out at a Christmas party, and she is asleep in one of their rooms. It's not a happy marriage, Moses is asleep in the other room. Well, let's not talk about it, it's none of our business. <laughs> um, so an intruder breaks into the house, into the room, grabs her, drags her into the backyard. What the fuck is up with that? Right? He wants to be outside. Creepy. He wants to be under the moon like a fucking werewolf, which brings us back to the supernatural element I'm trying to introduce into this podcast. (laughs) In two months, we're going to be all werewolves. I can't wait. (laughs) Um, And no one ever listened again. (laughs) (laughs) Uh... Okay, so her husband, Moses, is sleeping in the other room. He wakes up because he hears a noise, goes outside. There's a man murdering his wife in the backyard. He tries to attack the man. The man turns around, starts hitting him with the axe, and then runs away. So he's very badly injured. Um, Four days later, Mrs. Hancock dies from her injuries. So then when he recovers, Mr. Hancock is arrested for the murder of his wife. Yes. Yes. He got a fucking yes. hatchet in the yes. face. Yeah, but it does. Anyone can do that. Um, <laughs> his daughters both come to his defense. They say he's never been. He's a lovely father. He's never been bad to any of us. But the a family of Susan Hancock attests that Moses was a vicious drunk mm. and that Susan was about to leave him. Mm. Um, and later they find this letter um, that she wrote to him but never gave to him in her belongings that read, Dear husband, I've lived with you for 18 years and have always tried to make you a good wife and help you all I could. I've loved you and followed you day and night. You won't quit whiskey and I am so nervous I can't stand it. Mm. You know, it almost kills me for you to drink and <laughs> Lena is almost crazy and will lose her mind. She fucking puts it on her daughter. <laughs> Lena is a nut. And it's your fault. If I was to do anything to disgrace you and our children, you would leave me. You would have quit me long ago. Which is a good point. Uh, and then she says, take care of yourself. Write me at Waco. I will answer every letter. Your Aww. wife until death, Sue Hancock. Aww. But then she doesn't leave him. She stays. So, oh, honey. So everyone's like, oh, how convenient. But now your wife has been murdered yeah. in the backyard. Mm-hmm. Um, but Moses Hancock is never convicted uh, for the murder of his wife. On the very same night, Christmas Eve, um, at 302 Hickory Street, Eula Phillips, who is a 17-year-old wife oh. and mother of one. What the fuck? Oh, want to hear about it? <laughs> <laughs> she was... She got married off in an arranged marriage when she was no. 14. No. And then had a baby a year later. Uh-uh. And so, strangely enough, it turned out she wasn't that happy in the marriage. <laughs> because she had to marry a guy that was, I think he was 21 when she was 14. Uh, I mean, it doesn't matter what age. It's great. It sucks. Doesn't it? Sucks. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. It does matter a little bit. Though. Yeah, it's, that's fair. That's fair. You're right. We've gone into an area where when you're 14, you 
probably have a retainer yeah. and you won't stop talking about Skittles and you shouldn't, <laughs> shouldn't have your own baby. Uh-huh. Maybe. Some do it and some do it great. So she had actually already taken the baby and left her husband, James, because he was also a huge drinker. What's going on, Austin? That's all anyone did in the 1800s. Um, and still do. Yeah. Uh, rock on. Then single, single sad tear for me not being able to. <laughs> I had all mine already. Not me. <laughs> oh, Barf's red wine. You pull out a drink from down here. Uh, okay, so she, she left him, and while she was gone, she ended up having an affair with a wealthy, well-connected man named John Dickinson. Got it, girl. But then James... <laughs> that's right. Um, but then James got a job. He stopped drinking, got his whole act together, and he went and found her, and he was like, please take me back. I want to like, make this work. Are you wealthy yet? Yeah. No. And she's like, well, I'm 17, so okay. Yeah. So she goes back. Um, but then this night, on this night of Christmas Eve, she had snuck out of the house, and she had gone to one of the, basically the 1800s version of a no-tell motel, and um, they didn't, no one knows who she was going there to meet, but she went there, asked for a room, and the person that ran it said, no rooms tonight. And so she went back home, and within an hour, she was dead. Um, she was attacked with an axe while she was sleeping. She was dragged into the backyard. She was raped and murdered. Her husband uh, heard her being attacked, runs outside. He's also attacked, and he's very badly wounded. But he is arrested, tried, and convicted Whoa. for her murder. Do we think he did it? I do. Okay. Uh, I do. He, the prosecution painted him as a violent, jealous drunk, um, but eventually the case is overturned because the, uh, his lawyer uh, argues that he never knew about her affair, so how could he be jealous? Hey, all right. <laughs> Wrap that up. Nice little... <laughs> Easy peasy, yeah. you old drunk. Um, <laughs> okay. So here's a couple things, uh, a, a couple interesting trivia facts. All of the, um, all of the uh, victims that were left behind, that their husbands didn't come upon them, they were all posed in the same manner. Mm. I could not find what that manner was on the internet. Maybe someone knows. I like to picture it was kind of a beachy thing like this, <laughs> but that's uh, more of a defense mechanism because this is fucking horrifying. <laughs> This is worse. Six of the murdered women had a sharp object inserted into their ear. Ear? The worst. Oh, ear. The ow, worst. Ow, ow. Have you yeah. ever, like, yeah. It's not the same thing as stabbing yourself with a Q-tip, Georgia. Like, but, just don't even say it out loud. But it's so bad that that's as bad as you want to imagine it being. Yeah. That's how bad that is. Yeah, that's all I can even go to. Here's... My favorite, at several of the crime scenes, bloody footprints were found, and the uh, right foot was missing a left toe. Ooh. No, that doesn't work. The right foot was missing a big toe. Shut the fuck up. Oh my God. Perfectionism with the words and the details. I didn't, I didn't catch it. I was like, uh-huh. 
It's right there. I wrote it right there on the page. Do do do. Missing a left toe. I can do it whenever I want, even 20 minutes before. Left toe. Send. Print. Record forever. Steven. If you guys hadn't made a, a collective Austin-based groan, Seriously. we would have been like, great, no left toe. Sounds good. If you're new to the podcast, this is basically what it's like. <laughs> what happened just now of someone saying something wrong, the other one not knowing it, and then moving on. It's like living Twitter. <laughs> but the best kind. Yeah. Okay. There were lots of quote-unquote eyewitnesses during this murder spree. Um, so the killer was variously reported to have been a, a white or dark-complexioned mm-hmm. or yellow man mm-hmm. Pick one. wearing lamp black to conceal his actual skin color, mm-hmm. which is because there were so many lamps around. So you were just like, did it do uh, so many murders. Um, he was also described as a man wearing a Mother Hubbard style dress. Why is it so much worse? It's yes. <laughs> this is your kind of story. Is Mother Hubbard now that's Mother Goose is the one with all the oh, kids underneath. Yeah. He's like, I'm an axe murderer and I have children under my dress. Oh no. How fucked up is that? And they're into it. They're into murder too. <laughs> and they all come out and they're like, hey, They hey, love murder. Yeah. Fuck. Uh, he was also described as being a man wearing a slouch hat. That's, that's pretty hip. I don't know what that is. What if it's just a, a cat in the hat hat? <laughs> that motherfucker. He's always up to no good. It's just the cat in the hat. Like, I did some murders in the 1800s. No big deal. Whoop, fishbowl. Um... Also, a man wearing a hat and a white rag that covered the lower part of his face. That's the elephant man. Get it together, eyewitnesses. (laughs) There is also a story about a Malay cook. I'm assuming that means Malaysian, Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm not sure. And it's fun to walk the line of this could be intensely offensive Mm -hmm. and racist. but I found it on I think they would have corrected Wikipedia. Us. <laughs> there would have been a huge Malay response by yeah. now. Yeah. Malaysian. Um, so the story was that there was a Malay cook calling himself Maurice. Mm, and uh, had to. Had to. Can't not. Um, he had worked at the Pearl House in 1885, and he left sometime in January of 1886, which is exactly the time frame of these axe murders. Mm-hmm. And um, the last, uh, in the killing of Miss Hancock and Miss Eula Phillips, um, the former occurred during, on Christmas Eve. That was just before the Malay departed. Um, and then that's when the murders ended. Wow. Um, so they think he did it and they also think that he went he got on a boat and he went to England and he became <gasps> Jack the Ripper Yay! oh my god shut up don't you love it I love it the Malay that you never saw coming is actually the star of the oh show oh my god just a low key Malay named Maurice that's oh. like guess fucking what my name's yeah. not Jack <laughs> but people love to theorize don't we especially when we don't know anything that's oh, yeah. real okay 
Um, I also introduced the idea that the servant girl annihilator could also be the Axeman of New Orleans. Yeah. Who, remember that? That was my very bold and brave theory that I pulled off of Wikipedia. <laughs> Because he was, he, was uh, he was doing it in, the, in 1914, 1916. Oh. Who knows? Um, all competing theories, anything's possible. Here's the most interesting I of love all. It. Love it. In February of 1886, at a saloon in East Austin, a 19-year-old cook named Nathan Elgin was verbally and then physically attacking a woman in a bar with such viciousness that it scared the rest of the patrons of the bar into silence. Oh my God. He then dragged her out of the bar and down the street to his sister's house and inside. What? Can you... mm, Oh my God. Right? So many questions. Yeah. Of how are you just sitting there? Yeah. Right. And... Okay, go on. But also, how scary was that yeah. guy that everyone's like, I've got two guns right now, yeah. and I'm still too scared to go after you. I'm made of guns. It's what I do for a living. I'm a cowboy in Austin, Texas. Yeah. You, you go ahead and take yeah. her. That's fine. <clears throat> so... The barkeeper and another man uh, chase him, Mm -hmm. and somebody else goes and gets the sheriff. They all end up at this house, Mm -hmm. and inside, he's attacking this woman. He's on her. Um, He's got a knife, and um, they start to tussle with him. He basically essentially brandishes the knife, and the sheriff shoots him dead. I think I have a picture of that sheriff, if you want to skip ahead. It's pretty epic. Uh, Okay. That him? No. It's not There he is. Oh, shit. My God. We saw him walking down the street today. Remember? (laughs) Now he roasts coffee beans for a living, but he used to be the sheriff. Wow. I love him so much. (laughs) The Austin vampire. The hip vampire that's been alive for 10,000 years. (laughs) Just doing right by everybody. Anyhow, here's the thing. He shoots him. I had his name on here somewhere. It's long gone. Um, The sheriff shoots this guy, and then when they take off his shoe, no no big toe on his right foot, motherfuckers. Yes. No, it was him. It's totally him. Well, they don't know, and they couldn't prove it because the guy was dead, but there were no more axe murderers after that day. Poor Malaysian guys, like, they kind of drove me out of uh, Austin. I really wanted to stay here. Yeah, he never killed anyone. And this guy. Like Who, beating Maurice? people in public. Maurice. Maurice is like, it's freezing in London. What, yeah. what the fuck, you guys? I was a really good cook. Yeah. It's rude. Um, wow. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. That's it. Sorry. Thank you. That's great. Is that was great. Uh, I think we're, yeah. Yeah. You guys, we don't have time to do a hometown murder, and we're so sorry. I know. You can't yell no. You're not allowed to. And I, I'm so bummed because I know from Twitter that we have a crime scene investigator in the fucking oh, shit. office. I'm so in the office. Can we bring the house lights up for one second just so we can look at a crime scene investigator in real life? Can we turn them up and just see Just slightly, her? slightly. And then don't stand up if Where you're not she? a there crime scene investigator. There she is. Hi. We're going to call you. We're sorry. 
She's wearing a toxic masculinity shirt. I bet she can't wear that to, to work. I almost said school. Like, can I just ask you a quick question? Don't answer for her. Um, <laughs> do you steal crime scene tape and like take it to your home like we do post-it notes? <laughs> do you just... Re- No. <laughs> she's not talking to me. Uh, um, we're very excited you're here. Thank you for uh, yeah. sending us that message. It's, it's always yeah. very exciting when actual professionals are like, we don't hate what you're doing. <laughs> it's totally. very fun. Um, we're we're going to be back here a lot, I feel like. We really love Austin. Texas. How can we not? You guys have so much murder in this state that we could do the rest of our shows here and we'd be fine. It'd be very cool. And you guys are awesome. And our numbers are so bafflingly high in Texas that all the people that work at Feral are like, are one of you from Texas? Like, what? Why? And we don't know, but we love you for it. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thank you so much, you guys. Stay sexy. 